Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to tonight's episode of A Time for Justice. My name is Sister Pamela Muhammad, and I am an attorney and the host of this roundtable discussion. This show, A Time for Justice, discusses legal and current events in a roundtable discussion with legal minds. We have some of the best legal minds in the country, and we are just so thankful to have our guests to discuss with us tonight because we we like to discuss the country, the centuries-long failures to apply, uphold, and enforce the laws, and the overall failure of the legal system to give justice and the negative impacts that these failures to give justice have had on black people and their black families. Ultimately, we want fair dealing. We want justice under the law. But all too often, this is not the actions that we see tonight. We'll not make those excuses for the racist conduct often seen, which are really just distractions from the truth. And this path to justice and equal protection that we are talking about tonight We want to make sure that we can advance equitable solutions, which are in the best interest of the people. So let's remove the distractions. Now, tonight's show, I'm so excited about tonight's show because the title of this show is Protecting Our Wealth and Legacies from Abuse by the Law. And we're going to um, talk a bit about Bill Cosby's trial, and how it has demonstrated a complex amount of lessons that we can learn from, such as his wealth and how it was used to help our community, help black people, providing positive imagery. But in this case, my advancement, my argument is that the law and the abuse of the law was used to try to stop him. We know that uh, Brother Bill Cosby tried to buy NBC. You know, we know that, and and, and one of the things that we see is that the media's slander and the perception of 
this case and the fact that justice was done for him because he was deprived like many of our people in history. This is a historical scheme where black men and black women are disenfranchised by the law, the abuse of the law. So tonight I have two attorneys on the line, which I think are going to really be able to give us some solutions and some thoughts, because we are going to talk about real estate law. We're going to talk about business law. We're going to talk about estate planning, because oftentimes this is how our wealth as black people and and as any person in this country, these are some of the vehicles where wealth is created, housing. We talk about um, land acquisition being a major uh, part of wealth. We talk about, and, and we know that black people have been deprived. We, our, our ability to own and gain land point that we're going to discuss tonight, as well as labor. We're going to talk about how Mr. Cosby, you know, at the bottom line, he was a person earning a living, a very good living, as we all know. However, black people have been historically deprived of the ability to make a living. And we're going to go all the way back to history and talk about the labor laws that locked our people out of of skilled labors and the abuse and the murder and just the entire displacement of wealth that we're still dealing with today. So I want to go ahead and bring up our brothers and sister attorneys who will be talking to us from their points of view. And I'm going to start with Sister Yolanda Muhammad. Now, Sister Yolanda Muhammad is the great-granddaughter of slaves and the first generation of her family to live free of Mississippi sharecropping. She was born in Chicago, Illinois, and was raised in both Chicago's west and south side. She joined the Nation of Islam in 1991, and she's blessed to be the mother of three Muhammad University graduates. That's what I'm talking about, independent business, independent sister. This sister has served in various capacities in the nation, uh, she's worked for the final call. She's worked in just different capacities, as well as in a legal capacity. Sister Yolanda, ha- in her professional career, also has worked as an association management and in insurance education, and she is presently a solo practitioner and at the law office of Yolanda Muhammad in Chicago, Illinois. Her specialty is problem solving. See, this is one of the things that lawyers do, solve problems. And she is a growing expert in the field of real estate. Sister Yolanda is married, and she's an active member of both the mosque and the MGT and GCC. Sister Yolanda, I'm going to open up your mic and bring you on, sister. One moment. Yes, ma'am, your mic is open. Okay. Assalamu alaikum, Sister Yolanda. Yes, Why ma'am. Like so long? Girl, listening to you, I was like, oh, I want to meet that person. <laughs> oh, yes, ma'am. Well, you, you met her. You are that person. <laughs> and thank you so much for joining us at, on A Time for Justice. Now, also, we have attorney Warren Fitzgerald Muhammad. Brother Warren has been on the show before, 
And I'm so thankful to Allah for his joining us for this riveting discussion. Attorney Warren is a graduate of Thurgood Marshall School of Law. He's also a former judge. He's practiced law uh, since 1979. And I'm going to go into the part of his uh, executive biography that is really interesting for tonight's topic because Attorney Muhammad has practiced business law and transactional law throughout his career. He's advised entrepreneurs on proper business structures and agreements to meet their needs. He is versed in all types of business entities, such as limited liability companies, series LLCs, partnerships, limited partnerships, and the like. He's represented, and this is attorney, Warren Muhammad has represented clients before the Securities and Exchange Commission and engaged with federal authorities um, from the Secret Service to the Justice Department, cryptocurrency issues, and he's participated in business delegations to London, England, Lima, Peru, on behalf of clients of international financial transactions. Attorney Warren has also been involved in maintaining an extensive practice in the field of entertainment law. As an attorney for the two original members of Destiny's Child, uh, Latoya Luckett and Latavia Robertson, Attorney Muhammad sued their former manager. He's, you know, Attorney Muhammad also served as the general counsel to Rap a Lot Records. He's also uh, found himself in court opposing the likes of. Sony, Columbia, Universal, Viacom, BET, Radio One, and other luminaries in state and federal court. So Attorney Muhammad has drafted and negotiated agreements, and as we said, he definitely has done these business entities. And he's actually now the executive producer and writer for the upcoming docu-film, which is entitled The Secret Life of Chaki O'Shea. Brother Warren, assalamu alaikum. Oh, wa alaikum salam. How are you, Mr. Pamela? I am fine, sir, by Allah's grace, and I will thank you so much for coming on tonight. It's such an honor, as always, to have you on the line, sir. Yes, thank sir. You, sir. So, it's an honor to be here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. So we're going to really just kind of jump right into this. I um, brought up the topic of Bill Cosby and his case, our brother, because as we saw, we saw an example of an agreement that wasn't honored. We saw the attack of a wealthy man, a black man, and we saw the attempt by the legal system to really slander him, you know, cause him financial damage as well. And so at this point, I wanted to see if what, what, what are your thoughts? Um, and I want to start with you, uh, Brother Warren. What are your thoughts on Bill Cosby and the wonderful revelation that he has been released from jail, his his conviction was vacated, and um, even now this background information about the the abuse and misuse of the law? Yes, ma'am. Uh, actually, I want to thank you because it was you that sent me a, a copy of the actual uh, judgment of the court on the Cosby mm. case, which I have read. It's a 79-page 
decision by the court. Start by saying to our listeners, if you have gotten your information concerning the Bill Cosby decision from a talk show, from the media, from news and television, there's a great chance that your information is flawed and that you have uh, a misrepresentation of what actually happened and what the court actually ruled. And I say that because since this ruling I've heard, I've seen so much on the Internet, on Facebook and social media and different talk shows where people are still debating uh, whether or not Mr. Cosby should, should still be in jail, whether he should still be serving time, whether he's innocent or guilty. And all of that flies in the face of the court's decision and the, the factual analysis and the legal analysis that the court undertook in reaching the decision and the basis of his decision. What the court, and this goes to your point, Sister Pamela, of, of the manipulation of the law and the, and the legal system against our people. The court found that the prosecutor, after receiving a complaint by the complaining witness, thoroughly investigated the allegation. And after a thorough investigation in which both sides cooperated, the complaining witness, Ms. Constant, cooperated, and so did Mr. Bill Cosby, who cooperated in the investigation. The prosecutor found that that was not sufficient legal, admissible, credible evidence to sustain a conviction. That's saying a mouthful. After a thorough investigation, the prosecutor did not believe that he that was enough sufficient evidence to sustain a conviction and decided that the case should be dismissed. Well, he didn't just dismiss the case. He embarked on a plan to use the dismissal to aid a civil lawsuit by the complaining witness to position where he would not have the protection of his constitutional rights against self-incrimination, the Fifth Amendment, and thus, and thus uh, enable the civil lawsuit to go forward and gain an advantage against Mr. Cosby, Cosby thus forcing him into a situation where it was more likely than not that he would enter into a settlement. Now, that is virtually unheard of for the prosecutor to form a, to make a decision to aid the civil lawsuit to help the complaining witness get money when he himself has decided that there's not sufficient evidence to sustain a conviction so that the case should be dismissed. And that's exactly what happened. So the court, uh, the trial court ruled against Mr. Cosby. They uh, allowed the trial to go forward after it had initially been dismissed. And subsequently, Mr. Cosby was convicted. And the uh, Court of Appeal uh, was a superior court in Pennsylvania ruled that the agreement 
and the discretion exercised by the prosecutor is paramount and has to be uh, recognized. And that on the basis of his intention to dismiss the case, publicly state that he was dismissing the case so that he was stripped Mr. Cosby of his constitutional rights, that decision was subject to specific performance and that the subsequent prosecutors could not then change their mind and prosecute Mr. Cosby. Thus, his conviction was vacated and he was set free. So that's kind of a, a, a thumbnail of a, an overview of it. I'd be happy to discuss in more detail uh, the workings, the inner workings of that uh, process and that decision. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for that. And uh, Sister Yolanda, do you want to add into that um, regarding your thoughts on the the revelations that we see as a result of this vacate of this unconstitutional case against Mr. Cosby? Well, um, Brother Warren really he grabbed all the the legal legal issues, and I agree with him. The thing mm-hmm. that really caught me off guard was the effort that the court went to to paint this salacious, almost 20 pages of facts detailing things that we don't know if they're true or not true and every now and then adding this is from the deposition and uh, maybe this is not. So that even though Mr. Cosby's uh, conviction has been overturned, his reputation, even by this um, by the by the court's findings and their and their how they laid the facts out, his reputation is still harmed. And so now people walk away saying, "Yay, Bill Cosby is free!" But yay, look at what Bill Cosby did. And we don't know if all of the testimony that was put in the record and used as facts is actually actual facts or true. But it still paints our brother in a light that uh, makes him something other than what he was. And it still paints. Um, the other side as almost like a blameless person in the whole process. And so I really was taken aback at how how much energy and time the court went into to paint the facts in that particular type of way. It's still a knock against Bill Cosby. And in knocking against Bill Cosby, it's a knock against uh, black people in general. And, you know, I'm not saying that victims don't have rights. I'm saying there has to be some kind of balance, and I didn't see the balance. Yes, ma'am. Beautiful, beautiful. Both of your comments, I agree so much, uh, because we talk about – yes, sir. Yes, sir, Brother Warren. I I was about to say, I heard a talk show, and there was an interesting dialogue between Judge Joe Brown and – um, what's the guy? Mark name? Lamont Hill. Uh, Mark, yeah, Lamont Mark Lamont Hill. Hill. That was right. a fascinating conversation because the judge was was trying to explain cloak of the presumption of innocence and how important the presumption of innocence is, and how important the uh, the due process requirements are of, in the Fifth Amendment. And Mr. Hill kept going to, well, isn't it possible that? He could be found not guilty, but still he did it. Well, Judge Brown told him no, because if he's found not guilty, then he's cloaked with the presumption of innocence. And all that was brought against him were allegations 
and and this is what really struck me. Marcus Van Hill asked, "Well, what about George Zimmerman?" Right. He was found not he was found not guilty, but then uh, the black community was up in arms, uh, saying that uh, you know he was still guilty of something. Well, I think that was really an inappropriate attempt at an analogy. Yes, because sir. on the one hand, George Zimmerman actually killed Trayvon Martin. That is undisputed. That's mm-hmm. a dead body. So it actually happened. Now, what was ruled in court was they didn't find the intent to murder him. It was a homicide. That was undisputed. But they ruled that it was not murder, which is an intentional killing. So Mr. Zimmerman is, in fact, cloaked with the presumption of innocence as to whether or not he committed a murder. But it is a fact that he actually committed a homicide. Whereas in Mr. Cosby's case, there was no evidence whatsoever other than an allegation. And so the two situations are markedly different and and dissimilar and really cannot be analogous in any way. And I was surprised that Mark Monheel would use that as an analogy because all that was against Mr. Cosby was an allegation made a year after it supposedly happened with no witnesses, no forensic evidence. It was just a believe me because I said Yes, sir. And and you all, you know, like like you say, both of you are Go ahead, Sister Yolanda. You want to add? No, and I was saying, and that, believe me, because I said a comment became facts in the judge's opinion, which to me was 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 far-reaching. Who am I to say, you know, a judge could have written it better? But we still walk away not not having a clear uh, exoneration of Bill Cosby. Yeah. So it's like we let you well, all out of our jail, but you're still mm-hmm. in the jail of public opinion. Right. Yes, ma'am. And so that's why I think this conversation is so important to us as black people, because when we talk about the stripping of rights constitutionally and the deceptive ways that the law has been used, it took me all the way back to slavery. It took me all the way back to peonage. It reminds me of a case that was uh, written regarding a black man who was forced into peonage. And his facts were that he was walking down the street trying to get some work, and a black man actually tried to get, you know, told him, hey, these people are paying a dollar a day. So if you come over here and do this labor, well, just when he went to do the labor for the dollar a day, and it actually cost him $2 per week lodging, you know, after a day's worth of work, he decided this isn't for me. So, see, they, they tricked him. So then he decided to go ahead and leave and find other labor. And then the next thing you know, he's arrested for this collusion where, you know, these white slaveholders or white people after slavery were tricking our people into servitude slavery. And this is the type of abuse by the law that we have seen throughout history. You know, like I say, we can look at the the uh, union, the the trade unions, because we're talking about law that is sold to us as being so helpful for us, but actually it was used to deprive us. 
And so when we look at 95% of the trade people in the South belonged to black people in the 1890s. And because these white folks didn't know how to use a hammer is, is what I've heard, they, were, they, they came up with laws to displace our people. You know, they, they called it removing people, occupational evictions. And just as you all were saying about Mr. Cosby, of course, this man was uh, alleged to have been making $80 million, you know, in, in $84 million in 1986 and 1987. His shows, the syndication of the Cosby show, I'm reading from an, um, an article that the syndication for a half-hour show was like $4 million per episode per episode, and this article comes from Money.com. Forbes estimated his worth in 2017. The reruns alone were earning about $1.5 billion over the prior two decades. So again, to me, just as in the labor unions, you even had the same public sentiment being used. You know, black people uh, were 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 lazy and we were being herded into these ghettos or into these um, demeaning jobs. You know, our people were the skilled laborers, but in order to get them out and get that wealth into the hands of these white immigrants, they passed laws barring black people from participation in the for the benefit of paid labor. There were laws prohibiting the hiring of black people. Uh, there was a law removal of blacks from eligible hiring, and and the law made it able for whites to enter into and get into these trained labor forces. And I, I did want to tell the listeners, I got this information from the secret relationship between blacks and Jews, because it really gives us the understanding of how this scheme is done. So even using the friendship, quote-unquote, the fake friendship, you know, we see that the law with the labor union, sometimes they would include them to neutralize them into subordinate unions. And so you in- include them, include our brothers, but then you control them. Or, you you know, you take them in in a friendly way, but they say what they really wanted to do was to either murder if they, if they didn't do the friendly way, they were going to get murdered because the displacement of black people when we are in the wealthy or we're doing well. I mean, we know that Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, and we'll, and we'll get into that when we get to housing. But I, I just kind of wanted to stick with labor and the unfair fair deal making because, again, we saw an unfair deal here. The prosecutor, like Brother Warren said, Attorney Warren said, you know, we've never seen that type of I'm going to make a deal that's going to allow this civil case to go forward, and in exchange you'll be fine, Mr. Cosby, but then that didn't happen. You know, what happened is that some kind of tangled web of lies and deceit came up and the other pro- – you know what I'm saying? So these are the same attacks on black labor attacks on the economic strength of the community to force us out. And it, and it has a devastating effect on our wealth. And, and, again, 
I, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there for us as attorneys because I know, you know, Brother Warren, with some of the business deals that you've, you know, probably worked and seen, unfair dealing is really a lot of times what we're we're trying to protect our clients from because they may not have, you know, the legal training that that we that we have. Um and I think this is a good case of showing how this particular action is very much the same. They were trying to strip Mr. Cosby of his wealth, his name, his influence, you know, and, and, and what do we think of And Anybody want to chime in on this? Because I, I – yes, ma'am. No? Yeah. I think that was Brother Warren. Yeah, well, this one of the yes, things that was so astounding was that this prosecutor, this whole plan to aid this lady in her allegations against Mr. Cosby for the sole purpose of getting her paid when, in fact, he didn't believe her himself. Right. Yes, sir. I mean, he states clearly that she was not credible. She was not a credible witness on her own account, you know, regardless of the fact that there was no corroborating evidence. He didn't believe her story or found it that it, it, it lacked credibility, yet he was willing to wrangle and maneuver with the law to help her get paid to the tune of $3.3.8 million. And that's something. That, that is just, that, and, and in reading the opinion, that actually shocked the conscience of the judge who wrote the opinion. And he said it was just a matter of fundamental fairness that, that compelled him to rule that uh, Mr. Cosby's case had to be vacated. But I want to say this to people and our listeners. Be very careful how we jump on people and assume that they have done something wrong and not have all the facts and not respect the uh, the constitutional rights against self-incrimination and due process. It is due process that that is often the only thing between any of us and a jail safe mm. is is due process. I represented an individual uh, who had to, we had to go out to Los Angeles to appear before the Securities uh, and Exchange Commission. And aside from giving his name, and date of birth and where he lived, I believe I instructed him to take the Fifth Amendment to every question that was asked. Mm-hmm. So he didn't answer any questions. And we did that because we were told that they could not give us any any context to what the charges were, any background information. They said that it was a black hole. All the information goes into them. They give no information back out. And I felt that it was a jeopardy uh, to allow this individual to testify to any of them. As it turns out, he was never indicted and, and okay. continued to, to uh, exercise his liberty. But that's just how important the Fifth Amendment and the right against self-incrimination can be. Because in those cases, they may have no evidence against you other than what you give them. Exactly, exactly. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I, and, I think and, the, the, go ahead. 
the positive side of what happened with Bill Cosby is that he fueled a newfound energy or an awakening among other black entertainers to now push forward and continue his work and sue for their opportunities. You see uh, Ice Cube with Big Three. Um, you see Byron Allen suing to get more coverage. And so before Bill Cosby, you didn't see us making moves to control the media space like that. But now you see us making those moves, bec- but they are also because of what happened to Bill Cosby and the root of why this suit even came to, to, for- to the forefront against Bill Cosby is because he was making a move for black people to own a larger space in the media world. He didn't succeed, but you see so many others of us succeeding and saying we are in this space and we should own some of it. So I applaud. Uh, Somebody took the hit. It was Bill Cosby, and I applaud his efforts and and the respectable way that he took the hit. You didn't go and see pictures of him, you know, crying and moaning and he, at all times, he was vigilant about representing himself. And so I appreciate the respect in which he defended himself, but also the new generation of mega uh, entertainment entrepreneurs that his activities have spurred. Yes, ma'am. And, and you make and, a, and, go, go ahead. And, and so, well, one, more, one more thing. It's not that, personally, it's not that I condone what is Mr. Cobby is alleged to have, have done uh, as far as his personal actions or his personal choices. And I don't think um, any of us are saying that we condone uh, what those choices were. You know, he was a married man. And he was, you know, but we're not arguing the moral point. We're arguing the point of law and the application of law. Absolutely. Mere allegations got. Emmett Till killed. Mere allegations have gotten black men killed throughout America. Mere allegations have fueled the race riots in the summer of 1919 and the the race riots against Tulsa and Atlanta in 1906 and Durham, North Carolina. Allegations, unfounded, unproven allegations that, that fuel riots. So we, of all people, should be uh, very cautious about not protecting the rights of due process. Yes, sir. No, you're absolutely right. Y'all are making really good points uh, because I think with what Sister Yolanda said as well, as we are seeing our, our rappers and business moguls entering into these playing fields of big economics, we are also being shown with Uh, Brother Cosby's verdict or the situation that these people are disagreeable to live with in peace. What the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan have been warning us and teaching us. And so, therefore, we are going to build our own. We're going to have to build our own societies and our own communities. And I'm I'm in own businesses, and I'm very excited about it because I think the amount of deception and the treachery that was used and demonstrated. Uh, there's a brother, and I, and I wish we could have had our brother, Attorney Robert Muhammad, who uh, made a statement in the final call. There was an article about our brother Bill Cosby, and he said that he thought the decision to prosecute, and this is brother Robert Muhammad, 
she said was a bad decision, and I do think it had something to do with the fact that they that he was a successful black man, and and they wanted to to uh, get something, you know, to bring him down, and he said that's what he believed. And so at this point, how how long can we continue to live amongst people who will use the law, abuse the law to bring us down, to take our jobs, to take our wealth, to take our property? You know, this, this to me is just proving what we in the nation already know. These people are disagreeable to live with in peace, and separation is the only solution. So um, I do want to take this uh, opportunity to say that, you all, any of the listeners, if you have a question or a comment, please press the one to get into the queue, and you all will definitely be able to make your comments and ask any questions that you may have. Um, so wanting to go on to the next part of this topic as it relates to the legal issues of real estate. You know, we're talking about the uh, protecting our wealth and legacies from abuse by the law, and we're talking about this business enterprise, but we also have been abused for years uh, by the displacement of property, the the exclusion of blacks from property. And, and as you said, you know, before I go into the property, Brother Warren, we got to remember these innuendos, these lies, this public opinion that that is being lied upon by, about our brothers, and that's one of the things that really kind of got me started on this issue. Because when you hear this mainstream news and their rhetoric, is it's a total deception. Because this is not what happened, and they know that it's not a technicality. They know that if you're innocent, you know you're innocent until proven guilty. So to defame him. That's for a whole nother purpose. You're trying to move black people into some further negative place where we'll lose our wealth or where we'll lose our, you know, our dignity even, our children, you know. So I, I kind of wanted to say that as well. But I wanted to go secondly into the abuse of the law with housing and talk about how during World War II, there's, there was land displacement. Um, you know, when you had these GI loans that were not being given to blacks, so we couldn't get the financial stability that was found in property ownership. There's some data that talks about how um, actually 23, like, 23% of black people in D.C. live in poverty, whereas only 3% of whites live in poverty. And they kind of trace that back to when black people were excluded from the federal homeownership program back in the early 20th century. And I think it's very interesting because I never knew what the term redlining meant, but I was looking at this article, and redlining is a term that is used to describe how a map was drawn because back in this World War II time there was money available for veterans and it was home ownership was encouraged but black people were not recipients of this 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 particular initiative 
because of redlining. And what redlining did was risk assessment based in part on a neighborhood's racial composition uh, was was used. And so the risk assessment, that if you were black, that gave a higher risk uh, criteria into the formula. And so whereas black people at that time, you know, hard workers coming out of the service, coming up from the South, worker, working hard, they were denied mortgage refinancing and federal uh, underwriting because black, the color of your skin, was assigned a risk factor. And, and this article was saying, and that that's so damaging that now today you have the remnants of that red lining where black people uh, weren't given the the loans because the the same poverty ratios or they really weren't poverty ratios then they turn into poverty ratios now because you know of course we get this you know black people are dangerous and black people are hazardous but these things are assigned to these areas, and it goes back to the initial calculations that were made. And it's never been fixed because, again, we are still living in, you know, at the bottom when it comes to home and land ownership. And so I just thought that was very, very interesting um, when we look at the abuse and the use of the law and how this law has undermined wealth building in black communities while helping whites. You know, it has to be noted that in Mississippi, only, I think they say, two out of 3,000 mortgages that the VA guaranteed in 1947 went to blacks, even though one half of that state's population in 1947 was black. You know, so guaranteed loans that the government was willing to guarantee, but by, you know, the use of the law, black people were excluded from that. And um, I know, Sister Yolanda, you do with the real estate uh, interests, and this is your budding. You're seeing some of that, I'm sure, in these urban areas where the gentrification is high, the taxes uh, some of our people are, are actually suffering from from some of the remnants of, of this lack of, of equity and lack of home ownership and wealth that's really been passed down through generations. So, um, and, and Sister I, Pamela, know, I agree. With, yes, ma'am. I agree that it's been passed down for generations. If you look at um, coming out of the Great Depression, you saw most mortgages were were private mortgages where somebody sold you their house and in five years you paid it off. And then with the creation of the FHA, you saw that still remained for a large sector of the community before poor and black community who were uh, taking part in the federal housing programs that were created for poor people. Then you saw the creation of a 15 to 20 year mortgage with the trick of if you put less money down, you will be able to pay us longer. So you saw even for that disparity in the black community, we started with a 15- to 20-year mortgage for the same amount of money 
that our counterpart is paying off in five years. So, of course, when you do 15 to 20 years of interest, we are paying three to four times much for the same home that somebody else or an investor is paying for in less time. Then you saw the creation of a 30-year mortgage. Then in 1957, you saw the creation of mortgage insurance for people who can pay Mm. less than 20%. So we're constantly being told buying a home is the American dream, but it's not our dream because what is the American dream is that private mortgage that's in five years or less, I'm paying off my home, and then I'm living rent-free for the rest of my life. We're never living rent-free. And the sad thing is that once we hit rock bottom or go into a foreclosure, the next person picks up, they're going to pick up where we left off. They start over Mm. all at the beginning. So we have banking institutions and private investors making not only three times the mortgage amount just for the first mortgage, but if we go into foreclosure, they're making that same money over and over and over again. And that's just one way where you see us really uh, buying into this American dream system. We're not buying blocks. We're not buying full units. We're buying properties one at a time. And even we don't have to be in an area that's being gentrification, that is uh, seeing gentrification in our own black communities. I know here in Chicago, one of the biggest uh, problems that we have to solve here, and that's why I don't want to say real estate attorney, I'm really a problem solver. Black women are predominantly 70 to 80% of the new home buyers in Chicago. And when we see homes that look pretty, their listing says totally rehabbed in the inner city of Chicago, we buy. We're not checking to see if that investor got the proper permit, if the work was done correct. We just know it looks pretty. And our lawyers, unfortunately, we're not getting black lawyers who are checking that out for us. So we're just, we're new in the process. We're happy to be buying a home with our six-figure money. And we run in and we get this house at the top of the uh, price point, more than what it's even worth in the community that we're buying it in. And then six months later, all our major systems are failing. So I'm already struggling to pay this high mortgage, but now I have to take another loan or leverage all my wealth to cover my plumbing issue, my electrical issue, my roofing issue that was hid, and there's no recourse for us because the law says, oh, well, you didn't find it in that little home inspection you had too bad for you. So we find that we're it's never an American dream for us. We're being tricked all the way across the board, and unfortunately we don't even know that we're being tricked, and we can't see how this one purchase is limiting our wealth for generations because by the time I pay this mortgage off at the 15-year mark, if I have children, they're going to college. Now I've got a mortgage or tuition to pay for my children. So I can't pay the tuition because I'm still paying this high mortgage plus this mortgage insurance plus this high interest, so now my child has to take a student loan. Once that child takes a student loan, by the time I finish paying the mortgage, my child is now have to pay back the student loan. We're starting the debt cycle all over again. So nobody's ever getting free. We might have a house, but we're not getting free. And God forbid if we foreclose, we've lost 10 to 15 years of investment 
that just went down right. the drain and we couldn't get it back. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. <laughs> Let me take a couple of callers. Oh, great. Okay, Brother Warren, let me I'll take a couple calls and come right back to you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. We have Brother uh, Sultan Muhammad, and he has a comment about Bill Cosby. Yes, sir. Assalamu alaikum, Brother Sultan. Wa alaikum salam. How are you, sir, and everyone? I'm I just fine. To point out, yes, sir. I, I wanted to just point out you know, just a couple of incidents. Start with this. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad taught us that business is warfare. So we need to look for the warfare with our brother since so much was done and spent first to put him behind bars and to smear him the way that they have been smeared. Now if we remember at one point there was a 15 year old that he was supposed to have uh, possibly known, and she was at Hugh Hefner's Playboy Farm, or whatever they call it. But they kicked that out very quickly because the 15-year-old, Hugh Hefner would have been responsible for her. So they kicked her right on out of these so-called cases. Did you know that on the same day that he was convicted, Three hundred plus priests in Philadelphia were charged with more than a thousand. Uh, uh, there were more than a thousand charges of pedophilia on the same day, but his conviction carried a higher merit than three hundred priests and one thousand charges of pedophilia. Then, if we remember. The first time these women, or he was these women, was when he made the decision to buy NBC. Mm, yes, sir. Do we remember that? And then that was yes, the of the women. And then the thing that turned him around was that his son was murdered or killed on a highway driving his Mercedes, which blew out. And he tried to fix it on the highway when that particular Mercedes he had had tires that would drive for 50 miles after they were punctured. Now, we have to again take a look at, at the time of this particular charge of these women, did you know? that Mr. Cosby was working deals to bring in a better grade of sitcoms, black sitcoms, comes that showed more respect for black people rather than black-ish, for example. Uh, he didn't say black-ish. I'm saying black-ish. What does that mean? What is black-ish? Yes, the subject matter of a sitcom. It's like what? Kind of black? So these kind of insults is the kind of sitcoms that were being brought to us and that we were watching, he wanted to bring in something new. But his big mistake, did you know 
that after a certain encounter in Massachusetts, where he had an opportunity to meet members of the Nation of Islam, that he started to say maybe the Christian preachers should look at what Farrakhan is doing? Could this have had any impact on what Mr. Cosby was charged with since he could be prosecuted with what had been found to be no grounds for prosecution? So it's just something to think about. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Yes, sir. Very good comment. Assalamu alaikum. Let's see, we have a caller, uh, Sister Donna Muhammad. Sister Assalamu Donna. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum ma'am. And to yes, your esteemed panel of attorneys, I don't even want to come behind our, our highly esteemed researcher, Brother Sue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. Praise but I love the way beautiful. that he connected the dots. Um, but yes. what I just wanted to touch on briefly was what you were speaking of before in regards to home ownership and and what it's like here in Tennessee and well in Memphis specifically, which is, you know, a, a largely black city. And here most of the people don't even have the opportunity as I just laid out how we go through home ownership and then we're still going into college. Our children are going to college and we have this mortgage, we have this debt. Our people here most of them don't even have an opportunity for that. We're getting to the point where 54% of our city is rentals, and there's a particular back area that we were working in with the National Black United Front. Um, they were setting up a program there, and it was a black community, and the survey showed that 55% of them did not own their homes. They were renting, and they'd been there a long time. And a lot of these, uh, along with the Jewish landowners here, a lot of People from other states and countries are now investing in Memphis, and it's touted as a low-wage um, city. So it's another way to keep us um, under wealth legacies as well, too, not even being able to get that foot into a house around here. So that's something that's happening here. And then I just wanted to tie to my personal situation because my father passed recently. Oh, and my that. parents' home. Yes, my parents' home, was they were paid off. And it goes to me and my sisters, and we're keeping it as our family home. Immediately, the vultures, I guess they go to the court documents, they find out I'm the executor. I get call after call after call, letter after letter after letter. We just passed in May. Wanting to, investment companies, trying to purchase our house. In the name of, oh, we're yes, so ma'am. sorry. Our condolences for you. In case you have some debts and bills to pay, you know, selling your house may be a good way to take care of that. And we're just here to help you, and we want to offer you opportunities. I mean, I am flooded mm-hmm. with them. Yes, ma'am. For investment properties. And so um, so I just wanted to mention what it's like here uh, in Memphis, and we don't even have that as a wealth-building tool. Uh, thank you yes, for the opportunity. Ma'am. Well, thank you so much for that call, Sister Donna. That's that's very uh, interesting, very, very informative. Brother Warren, I know you had a comment that you were going to make. Yes, sir, did you still want to make your comment? 
Uh, yes, ma'am. I'll try to be brief. I wanted to give Go you ahead. Two, no, sir. two real-life <laughs> examples of what you were okay. saying concerning uh, redlining. Uh, I have some property in Acres Home, and uh, my oldest son and I have formed a company to develop the property and, and build some some housing units, some homes on it. And uh, one day my son just kind of made a comment about that property being in our family for so long and we had never done anything with it. So I had to give him a bit of history. I told him how his grandfather bought the property and had a plan to develop the property and to build a business tail and a, and a, and a, and a business on the property. And at the time, I was a student of architecture in high school, and I actually drew the uh, the floor plan and the elevation. And my father had everything lined up to uh, to try to build the property, and was not able to get util a utility permit to to do the construction because the city would not grant the utilities in that area where we lived. And then later, they came through about a mile and a half, no more than two miles away, with T.C., which is now known as T.C. Justice, which then was undeveloped, but they had already planned to develop T.C. Justice, so they would not grant the utilities required for construction in Acres Home in that area. And hmm. I told them that after that, my father just kind of gave up hope, and I did all I could to hold on to the property, so now he should be be uh, happy that he's blessed to be in a position to work with me to develop the property. He thanked me for giving him the history because he had no idea the struggle we had gone through uh, in holding on to the property and had been prevented from developing it. And so uh, he really, uh, he didn't have to apologize to me. He just didn't know. And I had to give him the history of what we, of our struggle. And then the last one, when I moved back in Exit Home after having been gone for a few years, my youngest son, we were living in Paraland, and we moved back to Exit Home, and we could not get Internet service. And he was just state of shock and awe, and how could you not get Internet service? And we, what we found was that they had not built the towers close enough to the neighborhood to provide internet service, and it was a number of years before the uh, they were able to expand the tower service to get internet viable internet service in Acres Home in this black community. So those are just two real life instances of the redlining that takes place to deprive black people in our communities from doing for self. It's easy to ride by our communities and say black people don't do anything. Why don't they develop? Why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? But it's another whole thing when you have to factor in the, the warfare that is being waged against us. We're not lazy people. We're not people without ambition and 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 uh, and, and promise. But this war has been waged on us in, in every level of economics to prevent us from doing for ourselves and being successful. So I just wanted to share those two real-life stories uh, yes, that I've experienced myself. 
Yes, sir. Thank you so much for sharing that. And also I want to remind the listeners, if you have a question or a comment, please press the number one to get into the host queue. Um, because as you're saying, Brother Warren, and, and as Brother uh, Sultan, the researcher, said as well, it's so, um, it's so insidious, and it's part of the warfare that's been waged on us. Because like you say, it was interesting to me to see that when we talk about sometimes the youth not having the skill set to be the builders and to do the, the actual skilled labors that have are such a necessity for any community, as well as things that we, again, out of slavery, we had all of those skills. Even my father and brother, they were builders. But to know that we don't, we were driven out, we were murdered. You know, over 200 black men and women were murdered in East St. Louis, Illinois, in the 1917 to drive us out of these skills into the menial labor jobs. You know, these are the things. Over 10,000 people were displaced from homes and and just, you know, forced to just run and rise and be on fire in the streets so this enemy can claim the wealth and the money and the labor. Again, it makes me thankful to say we've got to go a different direction, and we are blessed to do that. Um, and the corralling, you know, that's why I think we on these airwaves and as attorneys and listeners, we have to warn our people this is what's going on. This isn't a technicality. This is a due process violation. This is like Emmett Till. You know, this is like the labor, the the displacement, because they're trying to publicly and through the public opinion push us back into further and further ignorance, and we just can't allow that to happen. So I want to take a caller, if anyone um, wanted to say, make a comment. And now I'm going to take the next caller. I think we have a brother, uh, Theo Muhammad, I believe. Uh, is is that you, brother Theo? It is. Yes, sir. As-salamu alaykum. Wa alaykum salam, ma'am, and good evening, everyone. And uh, thank you so very much for this enlightening, enlightening conversation. Thank you. I just wanted to mention, and and, and I know we've already dealt with the Bill Cosby case, but I just wanted to mention just for, you know, as we know, you know, as as I've always been taught, you know, that, uh, and we have to really look at the uh, Bill Cosby's attorneys, you know, who continue to, you know, make that uh, case, you know, in the situation that they had a deal is what it amounted to, that... That um, you know that that uh, if we go ahead and testify, give the deposition testimony, that it would not be used. And so I'm always you know thinking and to remind everybody, as you know, Brother Warren and Sister Yolanda, and of course yourself know that our best friend in the court, you know, when we're in trial or hearing anything, is the court you know, and maintain the record. And so, in my opinion, that's a lesson for us to always remember that our court, that the court reporter who makes the record is our best friend in the courtroom, no matter what anybody says, you know, deals, because what's on paper, you know, it's, 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 it's there. And the preservation of the record is what 
you know, assisted, in my opinion, uh, Mr. Cosby in being success and his counsel, of course, in being successful with um, with his appeal and the sentence being uh, ultimately uh, overturned and vacated. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for that comment, Brother Thiel. You're so right. Getting a record is so very important because, again, we're dealing with liars and deceivers, and they will deny because, as we see in the Bill Cosby case, even though there was a, a record or it was a written press release that was signed by that prosecutor, and he even, in the, in the opinion, it says that he even sent an email to the other prosecutor as she was or as he was trying to prosecute Mr. Cosby and said, don't you remember? We made an agreement with this man. You know, this, this is not a wise move or, you know, something to that effect. Mm-hmm. He, he, he even mentions in the opinion that perhaps Mr. Cosby would sue. Um, but again, these are the the deceivers and and the deception that that we're looking at when it comes to protecting our wealth. So I didn't know, um, you know, and and I wanted to add to that topic with something that Sister Yolanda said. She talked about the investors and the Big Three deal that I believe our brother Ice Cube and some of the other investors had uh, tried to work out and Charter pulled out as we may remember that happened, I believe, in 2019. And there was an article uh, I wrote then that talked about how the racist understanding in corporate American companies historically of keeping blacks at a slave status and receiving the benefits that are financially and otherwise reaped by whites, maintaining that status, you know, is something that they protect. And and there's some actual data that talks about how they promote the group status benefit because pretty much they're saying there is a benefit for us as white people or, you know, Europeans, whatever, to maintain this control. And so as businesses and as owners, they absolutely work together to make sure that they maintain these benefits of wealth and economic superiority. And they've done it since slavery. You know, the black man walking off the plantation, so said a law journal article I read, he couldn't even get hired because the white planters agreed amongst each other that we would, if you don't hire my black person and I won't hire yours, then he, he's going to always be subjected to us. And I think, you know, again, I think this is what we're still seeing, which is why it's so important for us to build our own societies using black lawyers. And so, you know, especially black lawyers who have integrity, black lawyers who are under the teachings, that, that's a, that goes a long way um, in, in terms of us having some, some ethic, you know, answerable to God. Um, as the minister spoke about in the criterion, you know, this iniquity where people just do wrong and have no conscience about doing wrong is something that we're all striving to, to not be a part of. So, you know, again, I think we came on tonight. We wanted to talk about protecting our wealth and legacies from abuse by the law. And so some of the things that um, legal topics, we talk about estate planning, 
And I think estate planning is so important as we look at protecting inheritances potentially for our children. Um, one of the tools I really like in estate planning is power of attorneys, you know, because they talk about, you know, it's not only an issue about when people are deceased. What about the times of maybe incapacity? And a power of attorney can help you protect your parents. And and this, I'm in the state of Texas, but something like that could be used. Um, they have them in every state. And so I would advise anyone who's not in Texas, you know, to consult your local attorneys and your local state laws because, again, conducting and preserving your parents or your older relatives' uh, estates is so very important. So, um, you know, I, I think when we talk – go ahead. Go ahead. Yes, ma'am. Sister Pamela, I, I wanted to interject right here about estate planning and uh, sort of – uh, jump on the back of that comment that you're making about protecting your family's legacies. One of the tools that can go a, lo- a long way with estate planning for older people or your family is when you're getting a mortgage, get an assumable mortgage. Because what happens is sometimes we may have the power of attorney and then mom or dad or auntie gets uh, dementia or Alzheimer's in their older age and there's nothing we can do. And if the mortgage is assumable, a family member can jump in, take over that mortgage, and keep that uh, piece of wealth in our families. But oftentimes, Mm. we don't even know what an assumable mortgage is. So, for instance, I have clients, as an example, who they know that the whole family is going to live in Big Mama's house. And in reality everybody's chipping in to pay the mortgage and pay the bills, but the house is in Big Mama's name. When Big Mama got ill, they couldn't do anything. They couldn't refinance. They couldn't modify because they have, uh, they didn't have what they needed. And when something happened to Big Mama, they had to sell the house They and then do an expensive probate action, where, and they didn't want to do that. What they wanted to do was stay in the house as they had, 20 people chipping in to make it work. But when you think about probate, that's thousands of dollars that our people may not have in addition to paying all the bills of Big Mama's house. So the type of mortgage we get is even uh, very important. And and the terms, if we did, as the Honorable Elijah Muhammad suggested, six to eight like-minded people get together and make something happen, right? I paraphrase it from message to the black man. But say, for instance, if I could qualify in my neighborhood for a five-year mortgage and me and my children got together and said, hey, I'm going to pay this year, you pay next year, you pay next year, you pay next year, and five years this place is, is paid off and move on to the next piece. In 30 years, my whole family will own their own home as opposed to one person owning a home. And if I had an assumable mortgage and something happened to me, my family could jump in and pick up, pick up where the wealth building continues. So we have to start to think, you know, maybe I get a power of attorney or maybe I can't get one. But there are tools that we can use to make sure that we can continue to build the wealth if something happens to one of us. Power of attorney is definitely one. And, um, you know, I do courses on the power of attorney and the power of the power of attorney. 
but there are a lot of things that we just don't know anything about. And because we don't talk to black lawyers, we, we don't even know it exists. And nobody's going to tell us that it exists or what we should be asking for. Yes, ma'am. And, and, you know, I think you're making an excellent point, Sister Yolanda. It can also uh, be as basic as having a conversation about issues that are important. How about that? How about we as black families at the cookout or at the family reunion or at the Zoom virtual or whatever, let's talk about some wealth-building strategies because what we see down here in Texas, because I know you're in Chicago, uh, in Texas we have a lot of uh, people who are uh, not black will say our brown brothers, the Mexican community, well, they'll get together and pay. They won't get mortgages. They'll come together, pool their resources, and purchase these homes. And you'll see five or six of them living together and actually paying off, you know, or paying and then building and renovating and building some equity, you know, building some wealth. So, again, I think even having the conversations as families about these very important issues. You know, now I would be remiss because, as you know, this is the Elevated Places Network that is the, you know, presenting uh, company that of a time for justice. And we know our sister, Dr. Ava Muhammad, is often at the forefront of encouraging the separation um, in the nation, you know, the the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad made practical in that sense, you know, as we're living in this pandemic especially. Um, and so my, my point is is that we do have lots of people who are branching out and, and buying and, and buying land and building communities and, and looking at these exciting ways to protect their own wealth. You know, the pandemic, they say, has caused more black people to open up their own businesses and become self-employed. So I think this is an excellent time for us all to, to look at this issue and, and really um, try to educate ourselves. And I think one important thing about educating ourselves is looking at the past because, as we say, how can we continue after the predatory loan scandal, after the payday loans, you know, how do we continue to not be wary of entering into some of these schemes without having proper legal guidance, you know, or financial <laughs> guidance? And this is something, Brother Warren, I wanted you to go ahead. Yes, sir, because I have a question for you along that line, too. Okay, could I make a quick statement before you yes, question? Yes, sir. Go though? right ahead. Go right uh, ahead. I yes, want to sir. clarify. I want, I want to clarify something. After reading the court's opinion on the Cosby case, mm-hmm. uh, yes, that sir. was that was not an agreement. That was never a deal between uh, Cosby and the prosecutor to dismiss the case. The prosecutor exercised his unilateral discretion in deciding to dismiss the case. And that's very important to note that it's only the prosecutor that that can dismiss uh, the case. Even the judge can't dismiss the case. He can he can have a trial and then rule, you know, on, on the uh, judgment notwithstanding the facts or whatever the case may be. 
but it's only the prosecutor that can decide to charge on the case or not to charge, to prosecute or not prosecute, found that 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 uh, discretion is sacrosanct, and that's why as criminal defense lawyers, we always get uh, the prosecutor to write his offer down. They make an offer that we like, uh, but we need a little more time to con- you know to talk with the family. We have them to write it down on the file so no other prosecutor can come later and change the, the, the offer because that offer uh, is something that the defendant can rely on. And I said all that to say, John Belagi Muhammad cautioned us. He said that he found it difficult to encourage his people to participate in national elections, but he never advised us against participating in local elections. And it is the office of the prosecutor that we should be paying attention to and the local officers in terms of, of our energy in voting. We all want to run out and vote for president, and there's a, such a push for the Democratic Party or Republican Party, whatever, to vote for Biden or Trump or all that. Those are not the elections that really count. It's that prosecutor who had the discretion not to charge your nephew or your cousin or your uncle or you, you know, rather than to prosecute you. And to close it, that was a, a, a young lady who ran for prosecutor here in Harris County, Cabrera Cloud, who was supremely qualified, black lady, running to be the district attorney of Harris County, and she could hardly get enough interest from our our community to sustain her uh, her campaign, and she did not win. And we should have been swarming to the polls to support her to get uh, that powerful position. So I just wanted to, to add that uh, in terms of how we look at elections and the the, uh, the 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 importance of looking at officers such as the district attorney the next time they come up for a vote. Yes, sir. And, and you know what? As you know, lawyers, and this is a roundtable discussion, listeners. So this is what we do. Um, I think that I would take a bit of a difference in the interpretation of the opinion, Brother Warren, regarding whether or not there was an agreement, because I think the actual Pennsylvania Supreme Court got into some of the technicalities of, you know, how agreements are made there in terms of this whole formality issue. But what they did say, which I think was the crux of what they decided, was that uh, Bill Cosby absolutely relied on whatever right. he had and that it had right. the full force and effect of an agreement. The prosecutor even said in the opinion that's why he issued a press release and signed it because he wanted something in writing. So this whole apples and oranges argument about whether or not, you know, technically, you know, like I say, lawyers, this is what we do. But the pure due process violation came because Mr. Cosby fully relied on all the representations that were made to him. He had lawyers advising him that this was what would happen if he did this, that, and the other, if he deposed, if he talked and waived his Fifth Amendment, if he entered into civil case with that, um, that person. You know, so that, I think, again, we just kind of, lawyers, this is what we do. Y'all, this is a roundtable discussion. <laughs> so, but you know what, Brother Warren, I wanted to ask you, because, again, I think Sister Yolanda brought up some really good points about just moves and, and what are best moves for people in terms of mortgages. And, you know, just 
being smart. Um, and I and I came behind with also saying, hey, we need to talk. At least talk about things. Get your family together and talk. They they talk about corporations and business owners, and a lot of times people believe that only lawyer the only thing lawyers do is criminal work. You know, they don't understand our role sometimes in all facets of American economy, but especially when it comes to corporations and the operations of business. I, I, wrote, I read an article that talked about the only time people want to get a lawyer is when they get in trouble because now you've been sued. <laughs> and, and sometimes businesses feel like that's when you get the lawyer. But are lawyers helpful from the inception of a business, uh, Brother Warren? I wanted to ask you that. Absolutely. And uh, I had the opportunity, I've had the opportunity to know uh, an individual who's extremely wealthy. And he has a team of lawyers. And he consults with those lawyers on a regular basis and will take two or three opinions from different lawyers before he makes a, decide, a decision on a course of action. And it has nothing to do with him being arrested or being in trouble. It's all about business. Absolutely, in going into business, you should absolutely have a lawyer and pay the lawyer because the lawyer is a, is a scientist. People seem to not have a true appreciation to uh, the skill and, and the, the uh, technical uh, what, what am I want to say? The, the, the technical, critical thinking, <laughs> critical thinking that's involved in being a lawyer, <clears throat> but it's, it's it's a paramount importance. A lot of people think they can go on the internet and pull down a contract and use it. You know, don't need a lawyer for that. There's one right here on the internet. Well, that that contract on the internet is just one lawyer's uh, work that applied to one situation that they were working on. You know, it's like going into a store and saying all the suits in the store are the same, just, just pulling off the rack. Well, one might be a, a 36, the other one is a 46, and you might need a, a 52, <laughs> you know, so you can't yes, just pull one off the rack. So by all means, you need to get a lawyer and and respect the lawyer. And if you if you don't get it, if you're not communicating with you, probably seek another opinion. Right. Get more than one lawyer. Have a team of lawyers. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I think uh, that's so important what you've said. And so, you know, in closing, um, I I wanted to thank you all for for coming on and um, covered a, a broad range from the historical perspective on why black people. As the brother said, business is warfare, and we warfare has been waged against us since we were brought here on these shores. And I think, Brother Warren, that what you were saying about attorneys, I think it always reminds me of what I think it was Ford, Henry Ford, in some book. They, they talk about having a group of people around because you don't want, um, as a business owner, you want people that might be as smart or smarter than you. I mean, you may be the one with the vision and the ideas, and God has blessed you with that. Uh, but having people that can watch your back, that's one of the arguments that are also being made about our brother Bill Cosby. But we do, you know, because he's a black man, and he actually had 
the the wherewithal to be able to protect himself or at least to fight back. But um, you know, we're seeing it, and I and I think it's beautiful, Sister Yolanda. You mentioned it at the beginning. Our entertainers, our sports figures, our our younger people, they're they're getting these teams teams that they can trust, people that they grew up with, people who have their business interests at heart, you know, family members. Uh, You know, I just always wondered why you couldn't do business with friends and family was the myth, was the lie. But we understand now why, because, again, they want us to be robbed by people that we don't even know. Uh, So, again, your family may not be 100% perfect, but sometimes family can work together for the interests because they do have vested interest in the success of each other. So I, I think as we keep going into, um, you know, what we're facing now economically and building, and especially we in the nation who are building a nation, we definitely want to practice and protect our wealth and our legacies from abuse by the law. So um we, we're down to four minutes, and does anyone have a closing comment? How can you all be reached? Sister Yolanda, now thank you so much, Sister Yolanda, my sister Yolanda MGT, for coming on the, our, our, our Time for Justice. How can we reach you, sister? Uh, you can always email me at YolandaMuhammad at Outlook.com. Uh, Law Officer Yolanda Muhammad is on the Internet, and Yolanda is spelled Y-O-L-A-N-D-A. I love to try to help people solve their problems if I can. I am an Illinois attorney, uh, and real estate is definitely a state-based practice, but problem solving is universal. So if there's something that I can help you with or resources I can connect you with to other uh, attorneys in the Nation of Islam and out of the Nation of Islam, I would love to be a resource and to assist. Thank you, Sister yes, Pamela, for thank inviting you. me. And thank you, Brother thank Warren, you. for all the insightful comments. Yes, yes sir. Brother Warren, how can, we, how can the listeners reach you? Just want to um, get your information. Yes, I can, I can be reached at 800 800- Three nine seven 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 six zero. It's eight hundred three nine seven 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 six zero, and my email is Warren at wfmlawfirm dot com. And I would just echo Sister uh, Yolanda. I don't practice any one particular kind of law. I consider myself a problem solver, as Sister Yolanda says. So, if you'd like to have my opinion on things, call me. And if it's not something I can handle, I'll certainly do my best to get you in touch with the right person. Yes, sir. Well, thank you, Brother Warren. And I, I too, along with my colleagues, would like to consider myself a problem solver as well. So you can always email me at pamlegal2000 at gmail. And, again, I am a Texas attorney as well as a Missouri attorney. But, you know, this show we're trying to talk about the law because an informed consumer is, you know, our people getting this information we think is so valuable. So I'd like to thank you all for listening to A Time for Justice. You can listen to the archives of A Time for Justice at um, the Elevated Places. Please tune in to the Elevated Places, Ask Dr. Ava, on Thursdays at 7 o'clock Central Standard Time. I would like to thank 
sister, Minister Ava Muhammad, for this opportunity. I would also like to thank the Elevated Team, Elevated Places Team, Sister Donna Muhammad, Brother Terrence Muhammad, Sister Rona Muhammad, and also my executive producer, Sister Samaya Muhammad. And again, I would like to thank you all calling, and please come back. You can listen to the archive share the archive along with other archives of our previous shows of A Time for Justice along with Sister Dr. Ava's show, um, Ask Dr. Ava. So thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to speaking with you all again next Tuesday on A Time for Justice. As-salamu alaykum. alaykum And thank you so much, Brother Warren, for coming, and Sister Yolanda as well. Thank you.